So my box, when I bought this movie, actually says Halloween 40 years later. What? Yep. H4O. Are you, are you sure you didn't actually buy H2O by accident? No, nope, I'm pretty damn sure because it, it, it has Michael's face in the darkness. And it says Halloween four zero years later. Well, you know, that's kind of on the nose, but that's actually what the movie is. It is Halloween 40 years later. It could be called H4O, and then I wouldn't confuse it with being water like I did with H2O. I mean, there was water somewhat involved in H2O. I'm sure Michael on his way to killing everybody had to stop for hydration at certain points. Maybe at a water fountain, Precisely. at a gas station to get a water bottle. Precisely. Well, that's true. That's fair. I mean, you know. You know, you cannot kill people dehydrated. You can't. You got to be hydrated. You got to drink water. And you need to have a full stomach. And that's where KFC comes into play. And you get their 24-piece <laughs> chicken wings. Uh, I usually get mine on sauce. My father-in-law, he gets his with honey barbecue. Wait, are we being sponsored by KFC without me knowing it? Because I didn't get a check from KFC at all. Like, that was a full-blown ad for KFC. You Just me? the wings. I, if we were getting a, a check for it, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't see any of it. You're right. It would probably be in my pocket in wings. Man. <laughs> yes, you can pay us in wings. <laughs> forget the money. If I see you getting free KFC, I'm going to be suspicious. If we pull up to a drive-thru and you suddenly magically get the food out the drive-thru without exchanging money... I'm going to be very suspicious that you got a side sponsorship, a side deal going on. But Take you out like Nino Brown took out G-Money, It makes you right? feel better. If that ever happens, I'll get you a, f- a free chicken sandwich. Potato wedges, too. Fine. And actually, KFC has pretty good macaroni and cheese. Now you're pushing it. They have great macaroni and cheese. Now you're pushing it. All right. Well, for some reason, I can't picture Michael stopping at the KFC. I see him more as a McDonald's guy. What is with you and chicken nuggets? Oh, I'm just saying. I like them. You like them. Michael must love them. I mean, hey, he wants something clean. Because he has a mask, right? He doesn't want to eat a burger through the mask, right? But he can slip in fries and chicken nuggets through the mask holes. You know, KFC also has popcorn chicken, right? Mikey don't care about popcorn chicken. But know. it's easier to eat than a damn chicken nugget. Chicken nuggets, you take two bites. Popcorn chicken, you throw it in your mouth. Let me give you a hypothetical. Back in the day when you were working at Subway, Michael Myers came in. Mumbled something about one tuna or something. First of all, I'll be telling him, sorry, I'm deaf. Speak the fuck up. You say that to Michael Myers? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Let's say he's actually like full six feet tall, has the mask on, everything. You could see the knife in his pocket. He just wants a six inch tuna. If I can't understand a single word he's saying, <laughs> he ain't getting it. Okay. He takes out the knife he, and he just points to the menu, points to the tuna sandwich picture on the menu. Is that good? Well, that's going to be kind of hard considering, in fact, the menu is behind me. You can point and there's like five different things you could be pointing at. All right. I'm saying. Use your words or you get nothing. All right. So Michael cannot be served at Subway. So he would kill you and make his own <laughs> sandwich. You understand that, right? Hey, if that means I You're work less. You're willing to die for the, the cost. If that means I work less, that's fine. So I just want to bring up. So. Okay, let me just say, we're meeting Dana, beautiful redhead. Well, we don't know anything else about her, so might as well give her some form of character. We know her name is Dana, and she's a podcaster. And she's a beautiful redhead. Anyway, uh, Aaron, we got, um, I'm just going to say, asshole British guy. Wait a minute. Dana's also an asshole British woman. She's not an asshole. But she's British. But she's beautiful. How do you know she's not an asshole? Because she's redhead. And then we get Sartain, who is... Still to An this asshole. day, the most useless character I've ever met. So Sartain tells him, you're allowed to go up to the yellow line, but don't go past it. 
Yes, that's right. Okay, cool. So we see a shot of Aaron standing right up to the yellow line. Good job, Aaron. You followed instructions. Yep. Until he pulls out the mask and shoves it into the yellow line. Because, I'm sorry, with where he's standing, once he extends his arm, his arm is now past that yellow line. Which means, if Michael really wanted to, Aaron would have died right then and there. My question is, Michael's standing and looking in the opposite direction. Not giving two shits. Can even see Aaron holding the mask? He's, he's looking in the opposite direction. Well, remember, he doesn't need to see it. Because according to Aaron, he can feel it. He can feel it. He can feel it. He can feel it in his jellies, man. Telepathy? Possibly. Michael's but he can feel it. Did you say Michael can feel it in his genitals? In his jellies. Oh, what would, you're talking about his genitals. No, I'm talking about his insides. Oh, his, his okay. guts. I've never heard it described as jellies. That's interesting. You never watched Detective Pikachu, apparently. Right in the jelly beans, he's feeling it. Yes. And clearly, Michael, the music tension, the music is rising. The tension's raising up. All the rest of the, uh, the, um, all the, rest of the prisoners are going apeshit crazy. Yeah. So before I make uh, one small remark about this scene 100%, I just want to ask something. Since this movie is ignoring the movies two through 100. Yep. Direct sequel to the first movie. Yes. Why do a couple podcasters really give a shit about one killer who killed people only five, a total of technically a total of six, but five people in one night and then was captured. Why would anyone care? It's not like it's a cold case. Yeah. You know, it's funny. That's going to be probably one of our big things about this whole movie is that by eliminating the sequels, everything is based on just what, just on everything's based just on what Michael did on that one very night. Where he did kill a few people. And not very gruesomely, I might add. No, the question is, would he be some kind of legendary serial killer? This is not exactly Charles Manson. This is not somebody who's killed 20 people. This is somebody who just went crazy, or who escaped one night, did this, has been in, no, been in prison for 40 years since then. Yeah. So, yes, I agree that it's a bit of a stretch. And... Yeah, I don't know. I, would they be? Would it be a big deal? And I no, just, I don't think so. And I'm just trying to figure something out now that you mentioned the scene in detail. Was this scene supposed to be heart racing or intimidating? Because to be honest, it felt stupid to me. It felt stupid to me also because usually the pre-opening credit sequence it's supposed to set the tone. Yeah, something big is supposed to happen. And this didn't feel big. This felt kind of random. In yep. fact, if you cut the scene out, I don't think you lose anything per se. No, but you do. The only thing you get with the scene is you meet Aaron and Dana, who you follow for a good portion of the opening. They're in the scene immediately after the credits, which is them going to meet Jamie Lee Curtis in the woods. Yep, which so you, um, you could have started there, honestly. Yeah, which is funny because you know Aaron's trying to talk to Jan- to uh, Laurie Strode, and she ain't budging until finally Dana's like three thousand dollars. Well, $3,000 is the password to get in the secret treehouse. Smart woman. I just... The only question is, I understand PTSD varies per person. Would somebody who had one traumatic experience 40 years ago really have such a PTSD that you would need all these locks? I, I can understand, you know, owning the amount of guns she does. She wants to defend herself. I understand learning how to fight. She wants to defend herself. To turn her house into a fortress. 
and to still be to the point where the world is evil, even though I guarantee you the world has not treated her as roughly as she was treated that night. Yeah. Would they, she really have that much PTSD still? No, nah, I don't think so. I mean, she's very much like Sarah Connor in this movie who, um, Sarah Connor was like very proactively became like that because she was thinking that judgment day was coming to end the world. A big, mach- a big, Future war with robots, basically. I mean, she had a... To be honest, she had a reason. That was a valid reason. (laughs) This feels not exactly correct. And it makes me feel like probably... I do feel like they should have kept part two in the canon. It would have made a lot more sense with some of this. Because if you kept part two in the canon, then the legend of Michael Myers is huge because you had a huge body count if you count all the hospital kills. Within two nights, te- two days, technically. And then Lori would have been attacked twice by Michael. Mm-hmm. And then you can reasonably say, okay, the rest of her life, she's going to be dealing with this. Now, the only caveat to that is, at the end of Halloween 2, Michael Myers did blow up in a fire. So you got to kind of figure out how you make him alive or just have him here now with like extremely burned scars. I think the weight of Michael as presented here and the weight of Lori's PTSD makes a lot more sense if you at least have part two in the canon. All right. Well, I will say this. As much as we've already kind of shitted on this first, what, five minutes of this movie, I will say Jamie Lee Curtis still shows she is a great actress. In this opening scene, you see her when they start mentioning her daughter. Start First, she's the stone cold, answers whatever. Then they mention her daughter. And this is where you can tell by her face that she does have regrets in her life. Well, the PTSD, as you mentioned, not only has she like built this fortress, but the whole incident has basically completely damaged her relationships with her family. Mm-hmm. Her daughter, her granddaughter, all that's been sacrificed because of her, um, her still being obsessed with Michael Myers 40 years later. And I gotta say, this opening, I mean... Okay, the opening scene, the, the asylum aside, this opening now with Jamie Curtis and the podcasters, I'll say this, I'm, I'm... It's a little bit better. It's better. Not that, but I like the podcasters. I like Jamie Lee Curtis. You, um, you're biased with the podcasters. You think because we're podcasters? Yes. I got to say, their podcast must make a lot of money because they pulled out $3,000 like nothing. They're like, oh, that's an expensive budget. Here's $3,000. Do you actually remember what Aaron actually said to Dana when she showed him the money? No. He said... People don't people don't want fucking pay these guys for interviews. So I'm not going to pay either. They did. Yeah, because then Dana just said, okay, put your ego aside. $3,000. Password granted. That seems like an <laughs> outrageous amount. I know that probably is hard. Especially it, for It's some, hard to get an interview with Laurie Strode, but that seems Especially outrageous. 40 years later from one event. Yeah, she at best is a a local, local, local celebrity. But even that, I don't know. I mean... The new generation would even know about her 40 years later. It's very, very well, interesting. The only people who really know about her is her granddaughter and her friends. But I will say another thing that Aaron says that is kind of stupid. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't really care for the Aaron character because he says some stupid shit, including this line of saying, I want you to go see Michael because I think y'all's connection will get him talking. Uh, dude, <laughs> since we're taking out parts part two, that means they're not related. You even say in this movie, right? They're not related. 
What connection do these two really have? They wouldn't have a connection. Michael what? would not give a shit about this woman. What would you want Lori to say to him? Like, hey, I'm the one you attacked, and here I am. Like, And Michael just look at her and went, I'm, and s- I'm sorry. Every day I regret what I did that night. No, no. Michael would probably no. just look at her and like, am I supposed to remember you? Most importantly, did you bring me some chicken nuggets? Thank you. You brought me some goddamn KFC? I didn't ask for KFC. No, he wanted the spicy nuggets from McDonald's because he's a killer. He has to go with spice. I think we know the real motivation why Michael breaks out of this damn prison. They don't give him enough chicken nuggets. To get to the nearest McDonald's and to satisfy this nuggets craving. I'm just telling you right now. We need oh, to satisfy our, our nuggets craving. Way, by the way, so okay, as, I was, as we're talking about, I'm thinking about what could be the purpose of that opening scene with them at the, the prison. And I keep calling it prison. Is it a prison or is it an insane sound? It's an insane Okay, because it's, it's Smith's Grove. The mo- so the, I think the purpose of that scene is we're supposed to think that him seeing the mask is what's going to motivate him now to escape. I think that's the see they're planning, which we'll find out later, is not, he didn't, he himself didn't escape. So, but I think that's what they're trying to say, basically. Yeah, but uh, how about we finally get off podcasters for a little bit and meet some of our more more important characters, not really. Allison, Karen, and Ray. Those are important characters, except Ray. <laughs> well, Allison and Karen are very important. Okay, well, could we have at least gotten a better actress for Karen? I, I don't mind Karen's actress, Judy Greer. She literally was just reading lines. I did not buy her as Karen Schrode. Remember, though, you got to think that she is not Laurie Strode's daughter. She's trying to get away from that and be as normal as possible. But the problem is... So she's coming off like normal soccer mom. Even the scene where she is delving into her own backstory that, to be honest, we could have gotten snippets of by showing her actions towards situations. Instead, they decided to tell us what she went through in a very dry dialogue scene like... I was trained since I was eight how to use a gun, and then they took me away at 12. Yeah, we heard about all that well, from the podcasters. That's because she's so traumatized by it. She went to a trance when she said it, and she said it in a zombie-like state. She was in a trance. You could tell by her face she wasn't in a trance. She just didn't want to be there that day. And then Ray accidentally got peanut butter on his penis. I was going to say, you're complaining about, about Karen. Meanwhile, you're, you're glossing over the worst line of dialogue in the history of the Halloween movies. <laughs> oh man, I got peanut butter on my penis. This is the biggest atrocity. Because somebody said comedy sells and horror sucks, apparently. No, someone said that the the goofy ass dad <laughs> sells. Um Ray, which I'm not asking for Ray to be super developed, but give me more than peanut butter on his penis. <laughs> give, <laughs> give how about this? Get, don't give me comedy. You know, we a lot of people who go to see this movie were expecting a serious horror movie, and then when a lot of people come out of the theaters, I I didn't even see this until two years after it came out, and everyone just kept saying, yeah, it was way too funny. I couldn't get into it because every single time there was an intense scene, a funny scene happens, and it takes you out of it. And then I'm and then here I am in 2020 watching. I'm like, why did they do this? They ruined this movie with comedy. Yeah, you know, comedy can work with horror. I would say some of the screen movies is a good job of having comedic moments, but it's done smart and you have to it's a, a balance you have to walk where the comedy cannot interfere with the horror. It has to be kind of separated. And this movie there's gonna be several scenes we'll see where the comedy steps on the toes of the horror. Yeah, like uh as you just mentioned Scream, a lot of the comedy done during the horror scenes, like say with Scream One, 
was more slapstick comedy, something that would make sense during the situation with Tatum kicking Ghostface's ass. Yeah, absolutely. That that was comedy that worked because it was more slapstick. There was no random one-liners that didn't, or, we didn't need. Or Sydney saying basically on the phone to Ghostface that you know all the victims of these movies do the same thing. They run up the stairs and they should be going out the front door. And then the very next scene when she's getting chased, she's running up the stairs instead of going out the front door. Yeah, that's like smart comedy. This Halloween movie is not going to exactly hit the bill on that in the same way. So. No, but let's go ahead and meet a victim, Vicky and Dave. Oh. Okay, our, now next scene. Our par- parents named her right. Yep. Vicky the victim. Yep. Vicky, yeah. Dave, Cameron, Oscar. Okay, and dinner scene. Because we don't need to know those characters. They don't get any character development. Well, I'll say this. Oh, yeah. Cameron is Allison's Cameron, boyfriend. Cameron and the other guy, Oscar, get two, they do get character development. And their character development is that they suck. I hate these characters. Dinner scene now. One thing you'll notice in this movie, as I notice as I'm watching it, is that Jamie Lee Curtis really carries this movie. Every scene with her in it has some weight to it because we know her character. When she gets emotional, that actually resonates. Big props to Jamie Lee Curtis. She's carrying this movie. The scenes with her mostly are all pretty good. Hair, you feel her anxiety. Um, her, she seems to have a drinking problem. Her granddaughter still loves her grandmother and wants to understand her. Karen's pretty much like, Fuck you. Like, get away from my family. You're a bad influence. You try to make me crazy. You're going to turn my granddaughter. You're going to turn my daughter into predator. So, so yeah, you can see the conflict within the family. So well, she was late to the dinner because she actually she was watched watching the bus, leave, the bus leave. And then when she saw it leave, she start, she kind of starts bawling, crying a little bit. And then start, and you even see she takes, I think it was a tequila shot or it was a whiskey shot. We can surmise that every Halloween she probably gets drunk and is feeling the worst because she feels a connection to Halloween is when I got attacked. Yeah. And, and to be fair to her, I mean, as we're going to see, every Halloween is when Michael seems to escape from the damn place. I so. just want to say one other thing about Laurie Strode. Why didn't she leave? Haddonfield? Yeah. I'll say this. It's interesting because I think the most common way to deal with her situation would be to leave and start over. I feel like Halloween H2O had a better representation of realistically what would have happened. She moved to a new state. She changed her name. She was still an alcoholic and she still was feeling the PTSD, but on the surface she was moving on with her life. Now, as uh, the character itself, yeah, but the problem, but uh, the only reason H2O also worked is because she was Michael's sister, so she would never have been attacked again had she left because Michael wouldn't have cared about her. And oh, this no. Can't, can't. No, I, no, I know that. What I'm saying is that just where she's at in H2O, based on the past events, it makes sense to me that even from the first movie, whatever, she would have moved to a different state, maybe change her name, basically start a new life, essentially. As long as she's staying in Haddonfield, can she really start a new life? Not really. And it, not, not with how they're portraying the character in and, this. And it's even odd to a point that her, even beyond her staying there, I would think her daughter wouldn't want to raise their family in Haddonfield if she's so like, oh, you know, grandma is, is crazy. Grandma's a bad influence. I would think Karen would want to take Allison and herself move to a different state. So their whole, their whole family lineage, lineage being in Haddonfield still doesn't seem right. Oh. But this movie's trying to say basically that Lori's there because she thinks Mike was going to escape and she's waiting for him to escape. And she even says, I've been waiting for this day so I can kill him. 
and also to protect her family. Yeah. So it makes sense, even though I think that probably 99% of people who went through part one would go to a different town and start over. Yeah. But one thing. So now we get to our bus crash. Dad and son are in the truck. Son saying he likes dancing. Dad saying, well, I just wanted to spend time with you. And this is the best way I know how yada yada. Okay. Done with that character development. So you get to the bus crash. Yes. Bunch of people in white gowns, hospital gowns, walking all around the place. Yes. First thing you're going to do is obviously make sure everyone's okay. So you're going to get out of your truck <laughs> and check them all out. What the hell? You know, I was sitting there thinking to myself, I was like, you know, there's one thing I wouldn't do in this situation, and that's get out my damn car. There's one thing I wouldn't have done in this situation and stop. I would have just kept driving. I was like, oh, I just hit somebody. Speed bump. The thing is, if you're seeing these people in the white gowns, right? Okay, my mind would go to two things. I would think either this is a prison bus and prisoners have escaped, or this is a bus with insane people and insane people have escaped. And you just see them casually wandering around, because if but, they were criminals, they wouldn't be wandering. But I wouldn't think that this was a, a Greyhound bus of, of normal tourists that are all walking around in white gowns. Yeah. But this father says, hey, let me go see if someone's okay, and I'm just like... I don't think anybody would react that way. I think you drive by at most, you roll your window down, but no, but getting out your car now, I, w- I wouldn't have even rolled my window down. I just would have rammed the maybe fuck the, over. The, maybe the fact that he has a gun makes him feel emboldened. He didn't to, even pull the gun. He went out of the car without the gun. The kid grabbed the gun. All right. Well, okay. So that was stupid. But <laughs> let's say this: like father, like son. What does what does the son do? Gets out. Gets out the car. Okay, if my dad... Okay, let's say the dad's gone missing, right? If my dad doesn't come back, my next thought is, I'm going to get in the driver's seat, drive off, and call the police down the road. I hope, mm-hmm. I hope dad's okay. Well, the son does, definitely deserved his death because, you know, Michael gets in the car. Well, this was very interesting. Now, the son goes to the bus and shoots Sartain. <laughs> that kid had the right idea. But then he runs back to his car... And Michael's in the back seat now, and that that to me is like the freakiest thing in the world. Is like when you're in your car and someone's in the back seat. That's the freakiest thing in the world. Michael, I don't think he actually killed the kid. I think he just gave him a bad concussion. Oh no, he killed the kid. You think so? Yeah. Because we don't hear anything or see anything about the kid after. This could have been. This kid could have had a future in dancing, man. Could have been, been a Could have been a great dancer. Kid's dead. His life thrown away, man. What, Kid's dead. What about his dancing future, Nick? You no, know I got a better idea. Mike, you're right. Michael didn't kill him. What he did was something worse. Ate him. <laughs> he ripped his legs off. What? He what? ripped them off like a, ripping off a butterfly's wings. Why? Kid is now just screwed. With lack of better terms, because he can't dance now. Screwed. Michael didn't hear his dreams about wanting to be a dancer though. How would he know? Doesn't mean Michael <laughs> just didn't innately go. Oh, something about your legs is important. Is this uh te- telepathy again? Telepathy. <laughs> telepathy. Telekinesis. So let's get to Dana and Aaron's death, cause you know. Wait a minute. We we see them at the graveyard. Let's get to Dana and Aaron's death, cause all they learn in the graveyard is exactly what we already knew in the first damn place. But you do see Michael watching them in the background. Okay. It means Michael's following them, right? Because they have his mask and he just wants his damn persona back so he can how go the, back to killing people. How the hell did he find him, though? He escaped from the bus. They're on their way, like, before that. How do you find him? How does Michael find anybody? He walks. And just stumbles upon people that he's looking for, huh? Yes. What the hell, man? All right, so anyways, yeah, let's, let's get to their death. We go to a gas station. 
where unfortunately the employees here is dead are not going to have a good day. I hope they have good health insurance because, well... They're just dead. There's health insurance. Life insurance is what they need. Yeah, that's true. So that way their families are taken care of. You know, anyone living in Haddonfield just needs life insurance, even the kids. Yeah, that's true. Except babies. Toddlers are apparently safe. Absolutely. Well, yeah, yeah, right. That's so true. Aaron gets the shit kicked out of him. There's a chance he's alive because last time we see him, he's still breathing. He just closes his eyes. I feel like he should be alive because I feel like he was skeptical about Michael before when he was talking to Lori. I think this experience with Michael may actually lead him to being more like a Loomis-type character if he was able to live. So personally to me, yeah, that would have been good character development had he survived. and we fo- If we decided to follow these two characters with... Lori and that that family kind of being in the background. This may have been a be- slightly better movie because you can. It's a good like um. It's a good side plot line because you could have them in Haddonfield. They're following Michael. It's just uh. It's kind of a. It feels a waste only because like you realize that their only purpose was for for Michael to get his mask. Yes. I guess I can only surmise. Whereas their purpose really, if I would have wrote this the way. I thought they were going with it was these two be the characters we follow at the very least until the end. And then they die or they could have been somewhat the uh, heroes to, or at least Aaron comes to terms with Michael is evil. So as you said, turns into some form of Loomis, but a different type of Loomis. Yeah. I think there's a thread here you can follow where basically goes to the hospital, you know, save him for the sequel, whatever he comes back with a bandage over his head but he has a reason because Michael killed his. If you make, if you if you assume that, what's her face was his girlfriend also, which is I, I think you could probably assume, eh. or that he cared about her. Yeah, I definitely he, cared about her. So he's got, and he she gets choked out right in front of him. He has a good reason to be dedicating his life now to taking down Michael, pretty much. Right. So it's just kind of a waste to give them that much screen time they got in the first ten minutes, and then just uh, just so him. Michael can get his mask back. But I feel like it was directed in a way to leave the door open because. Yeah, we don't see him die, and they don't show his body afterwards. And they don't even say anything they about They don't him. say anything about it. You do see her dead, and you see her body, I think, rolled out. Which sucks, because she was a beautiful redhead. But this movie's going to do a lot of save things for the sequel type stuff. So that, I thought that's a possibility, and hey, maybe he'll be in the sequels. And now let's talk about this scene, which, to be honest, I get the feeling this scene was meant to be shot as a one-take scene. But they didn't follow through with it because Michael goes through multiple houses, kills multiple people. And the way it was shot made me think, okay, it's going to be a one shot, probably close to 15 minutes with no cuts. Probably would have made the scene a little better. It was good because it it did remind me of Halloween 1 and 2. It was a good tracking shot. But you're right, there is like, I think, two cuts There's in it two cuts. that are pretty obvious. The way they did it, it was going to be hard to do as one shot because they decided at one point to show Michael from the outside versus you were just behind him before that. But if they did it correctly, it would have been a great, it would have been a great shot. It was still, the, the opening of it was good, and then when he kills, the, the second kill, when he kills the teen girl in the house, mm-hmm. I did like that because that you can literally see him walk around the house and on the side, you can actually see a shadow walking. So that was a good one shot. So, but I'm not sure if I understand the logic of why Michael was even. This would have been better if, say, it was a Jason Voorhees movie, 
or some random slasher villain, not Michael Myers. This Especially is, since it, the Michael we see in the very first movie was not like this. He didn't kill random people. Yeah, it's tricky because this is almost like sequel Michael. But even sequel Michael really only killed people that were in his way of him going towards Laurie Strode or Jamie. Or any other target he may have picked. Technically, one thing I got the question is since... Michael and Lori are no longer brother and sister. The question I got is, so the original reason he went after Lori in the first movie was because she got close to his house. Yes. So he then, I don't know, either pegged her as a threat or just that was, that's when he first saw her and automatically targeted her. Could be completely random as that. But since the house had some kind of importance to him at that point, why was the house not important in this movie? It's interesting because... I think that all the sequels also make the Myers house very important. They always come back to the Myers house in the sequels too. So the Myers house is definitely very important. That's where his first kill happened with Judith Myers. A lot of Halloween fans just, here's how they theorize this or is that they justify this. They say that yes, Michael in the first movie was chill, laid back, you know, very stealth, you know, uh, very calculating the idea that they came up with, I guess sounds plausible is the idea that, but now after being locked away for 40 years, he's filled with rage. So he's a much more aggressive rage filled person 40 years later where he's still pretty, he still just walks to every victim and they run, they get away from the fool, but his desire to kill seems stronger though. But, uh, I, but, but I don't know. I mean, killing the problem with killing random people is that it doesn't have any effect because this you don't is, know the character. Yeah. This is like watching random people die. I don't know, okay, maybe some people get off on that, but for me, there's no fun in seeing him kill somebody random. Right. I don't care how brutal it is. It's just, this is a movie. We're supposed to see him kill characters that we know. So it's like, this scene was shot very well, but other, it, other than just being like, oh, Michael's a badass, it's like, it doesn't do anything for me. Mm. So now we get uh, another useless scene, but probably should still talk about Cameron and Allison break up. Cameron's drunk. He does stupid shit, and he's pretty much the only reason why Allison does not have a phone in the rest of this movie. This entire scene, this entire subplot with the boyfriend is all just to get her phone away from her. Yeah. And it's so dumb because him throwing her phone... And she's dipped. Even within the scene makes no sense. She's mad at him because she caught him kissing somebody else. Yes. Why is he mad? Why is he throwing her phone? That doesn't even make sense. Well, he's drunk. He's trying to win her back at this point and reason with her. Putting her phone in the cheese dip doesn't even make sense. Uh, let's get back to what Michael's doing with Vicky and Dave. Killing them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wait a minute. No, I don't like this because, okay, Vicky is Allison's best friend. Yes. Of all the damn closets in Hatfield, Michael ends up in her closet? Yes. What are the odds, man? I don't know. This, I, I see what they're trying to do. They're like, okay, well, we know her, so let's have Michael kill her now, but... It's too convenient for that to be pieced together to where that's her best friend and Michael happens to be in her closet. Michael doesn't know that's her best friend. Well, it's a small town, but is it that small? Damn. Apparently, but here's another thing I that think, you... Sometimes I think Hanfield is one road. It's one street. <laughs> here's another thing that you mentioned. Uh, this death doesn't also feel like it's needed because Allison never finds out. No, there's no reaction to it. The thing about... You can give way to this if you have them die and then maybe have Allison stumble to the house and find them, find their bodies. Get some way to it, but 
their deaths are quickly forgotten because they're never mentioned again by any of the characters. So who cares? And the way Vicky dies, it's kind of stupid because she trips on the floor or on the carpet and falls. And it's the most cliche thing in a horror movie where you're being chased by the killer and you by yourself trip and fall. Like, you can't give us anything more original than her falling and tripping. They do give us something original. So, sure, she's asking for help from Dave, but when she sees Julian, her whole mannerism changes to, Julian, run. She doesn't ask Julian for help, like most people in horror movies do, even though it's a, they know it's a little kid. Well, she's smart enough to know that Julian can't do shit. Right, exactly. That Julian's going to come up and get decapitated, so. <laughs> but, so. But, but, okay, so, but this is example number two. We we're talking about how the comedy is misplaced in this movie, because as she's, she trips, she's in trouble, and the artist's like, oh, shit, is she going to get away? We have Julian running up the stairs and being like, nope, and running back down. And the whole crowd, because I saw this in theaters, and the whole crowd laughed their ass off. And I'm like, you don't want the crowd laughing here because this is one of your main death scenes. Right. It just was misplaced comedy. And people were still laughing as Michael. And then, okay, and then Julian runs out and he's telling Dave, Dave, don't go up there and get killed. And again, the audience is just still laughing their ass off. They're like, oh my God, this is the funniest kid. And then you're cutting back and she's getting stabbed and people are still laughing. So and then you can't click back into being scared now. It's yeah. like. But, and then Dave decides to be a badass. Uh, Dave's a dumbass. Dave sort of took his ass <laughs> right out that kitchen, right behind Julian, and yep. ran away. Well, yeah, but Dave's also high. So. <laughs> I would have loved to see this ends up being off screen, but I really want to see what this confrontation was. <laughs> Dave walk up the stairs with a knife. Be like, Mickey! And then the door opens and it's Michael. And then, because somehow Dave ended up downstairs, like, impaled against the wall. So, what the hell, man? I want to know what <laughs> what kind of superpower Michael has to have, make all these kitchen knives apparently able to keep bodies from hitting the floor by stabbing them, especially in that very first movie. That very first movie was like, okay, he listened to Even him. Michael looked at him and was like, how did I do this? How did I do that? <laughs> It would take at least three knives to, I think, keep the entire body. Like one in the chest area, one down here. The man with the one. With, I think in this scene, doesn't he have like just the knife through the throat? Yeah. Is impaling him against the wall. And it's on the side. So I'm pretty sure by this point, the body should have probably just fallen. And Dave was a, re- a reasonably tall dude. Yeah. What the hell, man? I don't understand how Dave ended up downstairs anyways. He probably ran when he saw Michael. This was a Just Say No to Drugs commercial because <laughs> if the man wasn't high, maybe he would have ran out. Well, remember the last Julian. person that said no to drugs uh, ended up getting a cast iron skillet to the face. That's true. Yeah. Well. Anyway, so let's. So how about we play? That's a good, That was a Freddy's Dead reference, right? Yeah. All right. So let's go Ooh. ahead and play a new game that I just created called Guess That Line. All right. Let's do it. Are you ready? I'm ready. First line. You're the new Loomis. Oh, God. Can I take 500 points on cringe line of the year? Yes. By Lori Strode. Yes. And the reason that is definitely a yes is because, um, was this line really needed for this character? No, it, it basically makes you already hate Sartain because this is even before the Sartain twist comes to light, but it makes you hate anybody who's trying to take the place of Dr. Loomis. And also, by the way, since they've eliminated the events of part two, would Laurie have any real connection with Loomis outside of the very end of the first Halloween? Because 
they were more together in Halloween 2, I would say, the ending of Halloween yeah, 2. Yeah, I doubt she kept in touch with Loomis. Another thing I'm trying to also figure out is did the uh, directors or the writers or whoever put this line in this movie even watch any of the other Halloween movies with Dr. Loomis? They claim to be big fans. Well, I the, claim to, they claim to be fans of the first couple ones. I don't know if they watched the Thorn series. The Thorn movies are only the only the hardcore fans can really lay claim to be to watch having watched the Thorn movies, which is basically four, five, and six. I would say. Mm, so uh, there's actually one more. There, there's one more for the big uh, one thousand double bonus. One thousand double bonus Monopoly money prize. All right, let's do it, baby. I could get get a, get a free twenty piece nugget. Yep. Uh, Remember, he's property of the state. He mustn't be harmed. Oh, let me think. Who said that? That sounds like some Sartain bullshit. It was. Oh, man. To Hawkins when Hawkins said, I'm going to kill this guy. I feel disgusting. I don't even want the nuggets. So I just wanted to, I just want to say one thing. I understand, you know, with the Sartain twist, you understand why he says it. But um, if I was Hawkins, I'd look him in the eye and went, get out of my truck. Yep, pretty much. I would have kicked him out. I don't care if he's already been shot. Yeah. So, let's cut to our the death of our good pal Oscar. Yay! Now, Oscar, shut up and die. I'm going to say this. I'm sorry, that should have been the line. I know, I know our tone has been very negative. But on this watch of the movie, I've been trying to focus on the positives. I do like this. I, I do like this death scene a lot. This is very well done, uh, Oscar's death scene. Oscar's walking home with Allison and decides that, hey, this is the time for me to make my move because she's mad at Cameron. Cameron messed up. I'm supposedly Cameron's best friend, but I'm going to try to go for his girlfriend right now. A girl who also has no interest in him, and I doubt, and to be honest, from the interactions we see of them, she has not been leading him on. Hey, you use this. I understand in, he's drunk and all, but. You, you, hey, you use that excuse for Cameron, so I'm going to use it for Oscar. He's drunk, man. <laughs> He says himself he's drunk and some girl was grinding up against him or something. So. You know, as much as, yes, this death scene is actually pretty decent. but the No, this death, scene is, is, this, this death scene is great. No, I'm this only saying is decent great. is because it still does a little too much comedy for me. With him talking to Michael Myers as if it's the next door neighbor. The dialogue is cringe. That part I cannot excuse. But the cool element of it is Michael does look creepy as shit when he's standing there. And then when the lights go out and the lights come back on, he's getting closer and closer. So I do like that. I will. I, I want to point out. I don't know how uh, Michael has horror portation for this scene because he is all the way across the yard. For those that don't know, in every horror movie we've seen, a lot of times the killer seems to have teleportation skills, and we have. Well, Nick here has um, dubbed it. D- has dubbed that horror portation. Yes, in Horportation, we've seen in the Scream series, we've definitely seen in the Jason movies. Especially Part 8. And now Michael also has it as well, because you're right, he magically appears. Without the motion sensor even going off, (laughs) Oscar moves. Telepathy. So literally, he's all the way by the tree on one side of the yard, and then all of a sudden, lights go out, because, you know, obviously the bow's just standing still, and then Oscar moves in order for us to see Michael now by the house. You All right, know? look, it's stupid, but it's still creepy. So, and then the lights go back off. Now, for me, I don't know, because I didn't get this movie on Blu-ray. So 
I don't really have it in high definition. So, you know when you're watching movies and it gets dark, you see, like, little... The pixels pretty much playing around on the screen almost. Sure. So, I'm seeing that, and I'm seeing the visage of Michael Myers just standing there. And then, all of a sudden, he's just standing there, just standing there, just standing there, and all of a sudden, he's... You, I've, I could tell there is a small cut, because whereas I see the visage mm. of Michael Myers, all of a sudden he's dead in front of Oscar swinging his knife at him. I'm like, there was a cut there. If I'm to make that jump scare, I agree. I think it still works though. Without looking into too deep in detail, <clears throat> it does look like Michael disappears in front of him. Like no, the audience in general is not going to pick up on the cut. I'll say this: if I'm Oscar, at that moment. There's different choices there, but I would try to figure out how to get out of there without having to climb a fence. Especially a pointy fence. There's too much risk, especially if you're wearing a costume with a cape. Mm -hmm. Too much risk of your cape getting caught on said fence, which is exactly what happens to our poor buddy Oscar as he meets, I want to say, an untimely death, but I feel like he deserved to die. (laughs) I mean, yeah, you're right. Most people won't notice the cut because the screen's supposed to be black. I, I feel like you're being a little bit... Nitpicky. <laughs> that, I don't need to nitpick this movie. <laughs> yeah. You're right. We don't even need that to shit on it. So, so Allison sees the body. She sees Michael Myers, and then she runs, and Michael does not chase her. Now, this is a big thing for me because when she first sees Michael, big props to the John Carpenter score. The score of this movie is excellent. The music kicks up, and you see Allison running, running across the house, and I'm like, ooh, we're about to get an epic chase scene here. And instead, we get nothing. Yep, Michael does Michael's like, I'm not, I'm feeling lazy. I'm not going to walk after her. <laughs> Apparently, Michael just walks across the yard and just hides in the motion sensors again because right. he's nowhere to be seen. The music's still ramped up, but she's just running scared and there's no chasing. So why? Why not a chase scene right there, people? Why not? Yeah, because now Hawkins finally finds, well, was it Hawkins that finds Allison or was it the other cops? Hawkins finds Allison at okay. this point because they're in the police car with Sartain. Yep. As a matter of fact, Michael is usually so stealth in the shadows is walking on a sidewalk and on, on the main road. For and them. Hawkins runs him over, which pisses Sartain off. And here comes our big twist of the movie. Oh, man. And the big twist is that Allison is the killer. Yes. And she, get, she gets out and she stabs both of them and she kills them all and the movie ends. So. Yep. So anyway, I guess... Away from Fantasyland, because that probably would have made for a better movie. Well, I was hoping that would happen, but... Nope. What happens is Sartain... I'm going to say it now, because I still haven't seen Halloween Kills. You have, but I'm going to say it. Sartain kills Hawkins, loosely. Um, Wait a minute. He does kill him, (laughs) and to make sure he's dead... Runs him over. Runs over his body, which would kill 99% of all human beings. I just want to say something about the Sartain twist. Since this movie was... Slated for a trilogy. This one kills and whatever comes after kills. Since the movie was slated for a trilogy, why is it that this Sartain twist whatever couldn't have been revealed until the second movie? Make that the climax scene is finding out Sartain's whole back bit. I still, I mean, I don't care for the character. It still would have sucked ass, but... I still feel like this is a second movie reveal before the final confrontation between Michael Myers and Laurie Schrode. And the truth is they kind of wrote themselves into a corner because in previous movies with Laurie and Michael being brothers and sisters, being brother and sister, 
Michael's mission was always to find Laurie and kill her. Or find Jamie and kill her. He had a purpose, a mission, right? Because in this movie, they have Michael just wandering aimlessly on the streets. He has no purpose. He's not doing this. He's walking, he's walking around killing random people. There's no. They didn't have a way, writing-wise, to get him and Lori in the same area. The Sartain twist is only there to have Sartain drive Michael to Jamie's house. Which, let's know what he says here. Yeah, I know. We're already done with whose line is it anyway. What? But, um... I wanted to get the bonus triple lightning round. Okay, well, here's your bonus triple lightning I round. I need fries and nuggets, so... It's only going to be a uh, paraphrase, because I don't have this line written down. Um, So, who said, I'm going to get these two their reunion they've been wanting for so long? I got it. <laughs> Allison. Yes. <laughs> I knew it, man. You just run... I- the bronze Cupid doll. I thought for a second it might be Sartain. I was like, nah. That's no, not Sar- like, that's Sartain's not, like not that smart. Definitely Allison. Allison's thinking, Allison was like, you know, once, once Grandma told me once that she went to the prom with Michael, and then he broke her heart. I want to get them back together. This is all plot by Allison to get, and, uh, well, reunite the old lovers. Don't remember. Well, just remember this. Uh... And then it came to find out that grandma's, the, the grandma's brother was the killer this whole, the entire time at prom night. Oh, damn it, man. Oh, did I just ruin the ending for the whole movie of prom night? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> wow, that's the worst spoiler reveal ever. Now we can never podcast the movie Prom Night, and I can't say I'm sad at all. Well, Same. It wasn't, wasn't too big on prom night. Same. Um, so anyways, was there a point to the bottom me scene? I don't two cops. Oh my God. So (laughs) this is, is this the most egregious example of misplaced comedy? Most egregious example of we have to make it a certain time frame, and we don't know how. So we have these characters talking about what? Bond me sandwiches and a brownie. You know, when Michael does them, I've never been so happy to see dismembered bodies and heads turn to jack-o'-lanterns and what's sad is we don't we don't even get it's an off-screen kill you know it's not an on-screen kill what's not an on-screen kill though is sartain's oh yeah his head just and this was excellent i just but still do you really like the fact that your last words were say something that would not be my last words sartain said he knew everything about michael He, he he pretty much next to loomis has read every file known everything about him why did he think that he was safe from Michael? He put Michael in the backseat of the car. He's driving him. He thinks Michael's going to say something. He, think, he thinks Michael trusts him up to talk. Michael said something, right? He said, fuck you, as he stepped on his head. I think it's kind of funny that I guess Michael doesn't like other people taking kills because notice how he had an easy kill with Allison in that scene. But instead, he goes straight for Sartain. I almost like... I almost felt like Michael, for some reason, didn't want to kill Allison. It didn't seem like at any point he actually... Because remember, before, he didn't chase her. When he saw her at the fence, he didn't chase after her. And now this is like, he's in the backseat with her. If he had any instinct to kill her, it would... He would have done it. He would have done it and then took care of Sartain. So why... What is with She got very lucky that he wasn't seeing her as like a victim for some reason. For some... Yeah, what... I hope we get some kind of answers. I know what it is. If you say she's her niece. <laughs> that is his niece. <laughs> we don't know it yet, but the big twist in the next one's going to be they really are brother and sister. Her Lord. No, no, I don't know, but 
you can't tell me Michael, who is going into people's houses randomly and killing them, is seated in the back seat next to a potential victim, and is just like, ah, I'm going to let you get away. I, no, but whatever. <clears throat> we need her to run to the woods and get scared by Lori's mannequins. Mannequins, so. Yay. Okay, we don't have to talk about that because you just mentioned it. Good. No. Cops are dead, and so is Ray. Wait a minute now. Ray, who's been warned about what's going on, sees a police car in front and decides to go investigate. Now, Ray apparently has never seen any horror movies. No mo- no person in a horror movie has ever seen horror movies. Otherwise, a lot of movies would end pretty damn quickly. Well, except the screen movies. Yeah, that's fair. But Ray, who should know that these cops are probably sitting in the front seat dismembered, still walks up to the car and says, Hey, uh, did you find anything? What happened here? And unceremoniously, the Ray character, who just wanted to scrape the peanut butter off his penis, now strangled to death by Michael. Yep. And, well, and neck snapped. So let's go to Lori doing a stupid question. There's a killer outside. Yes. There's windows on your door. Yes. A hand can easily go through those windows on your door. Yes. You built this house. Why would you put whatever? Um... So you shove, you put, you decide to listen on what's going outside by putting your head on the door. You know, you deserve the concussion you got with this scene. Michael definitely rammed her head in the door many times. <laughs> it's fun. What's bad is, again, I, this may not have meant to be funny, but when you see the far away shot of Michael <laughs> just slamming her head, her body's just limp. You know what's funny is you got to remember too, like what I'm thinking is like, you got to think like this is a six year old woman and Michael's a six year old man. <laughs> he's just ramming her head against the door. These are actually like two senior citizens like <laughs> duking it out. Like they're not talking about, but these are two six year olds. Luckily for her, she has a shotgun in her hand and shoots his fingers. And Michael's like, ah, oh, shit, my fingers. And then, um, now I, I'll say this though. Yes. Everything that happens at the end here, Lori should have the huge advantage in, in this scenario because it's her house, it's her house. She sacrificed all resale value by turning it into a fortress. Uh, the whole house is supposed to be designed to stop Michael Myers. Mm-hmm. Everything she designed this house was with the idea of fighting him in this house one day. So this is home field advantage. This is like Freddie coming to Crystal Lake. <laughs> so she should have every advantage. So, yeah, I mean, that's just, let's just set the stage with that. So, Well, let's go ahead and set the uh, cat and mouse game. But this time, Lori is chasing Michael, not the other way around. But Supposedly. Just, from, her, from her perspective, she is. I think Michael's like, I'm just going to kill this woman. So. What I'm just trying to figure out is, so she has massive, like, floodlights on, which is peering through her house, which we as the audience can clearly see. It might as well be daytime in this place. I'm like, is that an advantage to her, though, an advantage to Michael? Because you could have kept Michael kind of in the dark because you know everything. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know everything. Like, well, even, so. even if the floodlights weren't there, she still gave away her position because she then decides to take a flashlight. Why you need a flashlight with a completely lit house? I don't know. I don't know why she came up from the basement in the first place because you know he's upstairs, right? When you walk up there at first, what's his stop? Like, luckily for... Hurst, he had went up to the second story for some reason. But what if he was on the first story and just killed you when he came upstairs? Well, the whole point was to get him into the basement. Yeah, but my thing is the easy way to do that was exactly what eventually happens. Like, 
I would just wait in the basement until he eventually he's eventually going to find your trap door thing, whatever, and come down there. You have the gun pointed. You wait for him to come to you. When you go to him, I feel like you lose your advantage when you're going towards him and he can go hide somewhere and wait for you. Well, and then we get our climactic fight scene where after Judy Greer shoots Michael in the face. Now, this was fun because Judy Greer, she found the gun on the wall that had her initials on it. Yep. She re- finally realized that, oh, I don't know how to shoot. My mom maybe was crazy, but she actually taught me for this moment to actually do what I'm about to do. I can't do it. Michael shows up. Gotcha. It's like, gotcha. Michael doesn't, like, I'm just sitting there thinking to myself, Michael doesn't give a shit if you're scared to shoot or not. He would have just shown up. Why would he have waited until... Michael did, though. He did do, like, some dumbass, like, trying to do a jump scare. He opened the thing, and then he hit for a second. And then she's like, ah! And Michael pops up like a jump scare. Like, ah! That's, that's the yeah, guy. And then she shoots him in the face, and then... Now, that that's fine. But it cuts to this, like, super corny Jamie... No, Lori in the shadows. Her face comes out the shadows. It looks so corny when her face comes out. And she gives some stupid line forgot what it was and then she just starts fighting him which it wasn't even that good of a fight but she kicks his ass because he ends up flying down the stairs in the yep. basement and then they all get out they pull the lever where wooded spikes goes through okay i got i got a question those were clearly spikes yes what i would have done was let michael come up the stairs a little bit yes and then pull the lever and let the spikes go through his damn head yes but what they do instead is trap them in there and set it on fire. You know, since those are wooden spikes, those will burn to ashes. And the fire and what you have trapped down there could easily get out from those ashes. Yes. Movie's over. They get away. The problem with this whole burning sequence is because we know, and obviously we know in the sequel, this is not much of a spoiler, but obviously Michael's going to survive this fire. If you spent 40 years designing a, a trap for Michael. I want to make sure it works. And you actually get him in the trap. You can't leave any room for error. And by the way, you should stay in, I think for her, for Lori's mental health, she should have stayed and watched the body and made sure he was dead. Mm-hmm. Because when you leave out and you don't see the body, you're still going to question, is he dead or not? You'll have no peace. Mm-hmm. That said, for the movie, within the movie, for assuming that Michael is dead and getting burned, it's a satisfying ending if we're on the assumption that Michael's so, actually burning. So have you heard about what the original ending was going to be if this was not slated for a trilogy? Yes. So in the original ending, Michael goes out back and finds a spaceship and decides to go kill people on Mars. And Elon Musk helps them get to Mars and then they recolonize and Michael kills everybody. You didn't? You read something else? Yes. Well, listen, my, I'm pretty sure I, my, my spoilers is correct. Well, what do you got? What I got was Michael shows up at the house. We get our little cat and mouse scene, and then they end up in the front yard where Lori and Michael have a big knife fight, cut the hell out of each other, and both die. That sounds a little bit more realistic than my scenario, but just like a little bit. I mean, I think mine's more entertaining. I personally would have rather seen that than what we get. But your ending does not lead to a sequel. This they, movie did not need a sequel. Ain't thinking about that money, baby. That cheddar. Well, how about they? What start about think, the money? How about they start thinking about good movies? No, Hollywood is a for-profit 
And me not, what makes better profit, bad movies or good movies? Do I need to remind you that this is the highest grossing slasher of all time? I reject your reality and substitute my own. Well, they reject anything. They reject your theory, and they welcome the money. So anyway, uh, categories. Get, get to our categories. Best character or best performance. Best performance is easily Michael Myers. Jamie Lee Curtis. Michael Myers. I'm going to give a shout out to Michael Myers, played by uh, Jude Courtney, I think his name is. Jude James Courtney, maybe. If I'm butchering your name, I'm sorry. Don't take that as an excuse to butcher me. Because I'm trying to say that you're a great Michael Myers. You're one of the best Michael Myers in the series. I don't like seeing Mike. So this is my personal thing. I don't like seeing Mike with a mask off. When they're they're showing his face, normal face, I just want to see Mike with a mask on. I don't like seeing shots of him like as an old man with a mask off. Uh, me personally, the reason I say Michael is because he didn't have any lines that were that just killed the character for me. Like with Lori, I was fine with most of the scenes, and then she goes, "You're the new Loomis." <laughs> that, that's one line. Does condi- that line killed the character oh my for God. me? There's I no said way. it once. I'll say it again. Just because we understand the character from a previous movie does not mean we care about the character in the next. I gotta, I gotta be honest. I like Jamie Lee Curtis in this movie. I, I. I do feel like her character is strong in this movie, um, but I'm not. I'm not mad at Michael. Michael is my second choice for sure. Not. I, I can't say anything against her. She's still a great actress. It's just Michael didn't. The actor who played Michael didn't do anything to make me pissed off at the character. But are you too closely associating? There's the performance and the character. You're saying the character is make you not like her performance almost, you're saying. Well, I mean, she's the one who had to perform that line. All right, I got you. <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis. I'm going just with purely her acting skills. Uh, so okay. let's go over with worst performance. Start saying. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Damn. I know, right? Oh, um, man. I'm going to go with Ray. Ray. But, you know, what I'm doing now is I'm doing what you did. I'm <laughs> His dumbass lines are making me, like, you hold that but again, him. he still had to perform that line. Yeah. I'm sorry, it's just a line can kill a character. I and just, and, be, and unfortunately, the actor has to perform that line, so that is counting as a performance. Well, I, well, everything he said was delivered like in a cheesy way. Like, the guy never seemed like a serious character in the movie. And some of that was the actor, though. The actor did deliver it very cheesily. So when he dies, there's no weight to it. You don't... We don't care, and unfortunately, even the, even the damn characters don't care. There's no reaction to Ray's death in this movie from Karen or from Allison. To be honest. And that's a big fail because when Allison shows up at the house, she, be, she should be saying, hey, what the hell happened to Dad? So, and there's none of that. So to be honest, there's no reactions to any of the deaths that happens in this movie. So there's no way to them. You only process characters' deaths by how other characters react to the deaths. Mm-hmm. Stupid. Okay, uh, best scene in the movie. Let's see what had happened was. I, I think <clears throat> I'm still probably go with the end sequence altogether. Yeah, there were some logical problems with it, but it is fun seeing Michael and Lori fight. That's really, that's what you want to see this movie is a Michael and Lori showdown. Everything else is kind of like Michael with side characters, but I'll still say the end sequence was overall fun to watch. Um, uh, see, this one's a hard one for me because... As y'all can probably guess, I didn't like this movie. I didn't like a lot of scenes in this movie. I think the best scene I can say is uh, it would have to be the ending scene. For me, it's the the ending scene or it's the Oscar death scene. 
It's doing to stand out to me, so. I mean, the Oscar death scene yeah, is just too funny to me. Uh, the the second half of the tracking shot scene, not where he kills the old lady, but where he kills... The teenager? I thought that was very well done. And that's pretty brutal, too, actually. So, you're going to hate me, because that's my worst scene. Is not oh. is the entire tracking scene, and that's because he's just killing random people just to, just to up the body count. That's... Yes. I don't care about a body count in a horror movie. I care about the movie can make my heart race. That's why I'm watching a horror movie. If I'm just watching people die, my heart's not racing. My worst scene by far... Oh, yeah. My worst scene by far is the Sartain reveal. When Sartain reveals his true colors... And, and kills Hawkins. Stabs Hawkins in the neck. Runs him over and kills him. Yep. Definitely kills him. Yep. Dead man, dead man walking. Yep. <laughs> that that annoyed me because that twist was not needed. All right. So, uh, what would you like explored more, to podcasters? Yeah, just keep that. Thread. And that is a biased reason. Keep that. <laughs> no, I mean, hey, I, I don't love all podcasters, but hey, God respect for them for doing what they did. But just keep their thread going. You can have how you can have Michael kill Dana, take the mask, and then. It'd just be interesting if Aaron shows up later in the movie, like, with vengeance on his mind, and then you can have Michael kill him. It'd just be, like, a fun kill towards the end of the movie, maybe. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, what would you like to see changed? Or eliminated? Or, or eliminated, yeah. Changed or eliminated. Um, can I say the whole movie? No, nah, I think I've done that too many times throughout the podcast episode, so I'm going to have to go with the whole thing with Sartain. That's an easy choice. I think most fans... Did not like the Sartain twist. I realize now that, like I said, they they wrote themselves in the corner because the truth is Michael doesn't give a shit about Lori. So Michael's not going to randomly stumble upon Lori's house in the woods. So they needed someone to drive Michael to have an epic reunion. And that's where Sartain came in. But that's, that's just if you have to if you have to do that much craziness then your whole idea is shot. You so, should start over. So. I'm actually going to change. Technically, it's going to be multiple things. But I'm going to change a plot point of plot devices. Cameron, Sartain, any reason that or the podcasters even. Oh, all three of them. I'm sorry. I got I to gotta change my worst scene. By far the damn dance scene <laughs> with the high schoolers. If that's what high school is like right now, I'm glad I'm not in high right. school. But, that high school's dancing is the worst scene in all of movies ever. But, yeah, all three of those, all three of the instances I just named were only plot devices to get the characters with Michael and getting his mask. You only added two new, two characters to kill them off and get their mask. For, Cam- for Allison not having a phone, you added her to have a shitty boyfriend just so he can throw her phone and cheese dip. And then Sartain, just so you can have a reason to have Michael and Lori actually go face-to-face. You realize Allison left her phone in the cheese dip? Yeah. Okay, who would... Your phone dropped in the cheese dip, and that sucks, right? Who would just walk away and just leave your phone well, in the cheese dip? Well, here's another thing. Most people, especially in 2018, have protectors on their phone, and you can clearly hear the phone still ringing in the cheese dip. Yeah. Um, that phone is protected by the protector. You just take the phone out of the protector... And you have your phone still. There's a very easy, there's a very simple solution. If you needed her to be without her phone, have the battery die. <laughs> the battery dies, and then you hear them trying to call her, and it's going straight to voicemail. That seems like a better thing than 
having it thrown in the cheese dip. So final thoughts. Vic, since you love this movie so much, why don't you go first? You know, we're basically on the same page, but I did watch this movie this time already knowing the negatives already knowing the negatives in my head so this time was more about focusing on what do i like about the movie what are the positives and so i'm gonna go through a few quick positives the cinematography is good the movie looks good it's well shot it's well directed for the most part uh there are some cuts some awkward cuts uh but it's one of the better looking halloween movies again michael myers himself the actor who plays michael is great michael himself is fun the scenes with michael are all fun and then I do think Jamie Lee Curtis has a strong performance there. But the writing, man, these characters, Cameron disappears halfway through. The worst boyfriend ever doesn't get his comeuppance. The, the sheriff, the sheriff disappears. What's his purpose? Why is he in the movie? Hawkins, wasted character, dead. There's too much awkward comedy in the wrong places that takes away from the horror. So on a technical level, it's not a bad movie. But as a Halloween fan, I don't even think Michael from this movie is makes sense with Michael from the original movie. It doesn't look like it's the same character. They have two different MOs, two different mindsets. Yes, maybe he's filled with rage after being in prison for 40 years. I hear you. But this is not my Michael Myers. The way he's written, the way it's performed, perfect by the actor. But him, you're right, him killing random people, random killing sprees, nah, I could, I could go without it. So for me, I'm going to still say two stars. I don't, I don't think it's bad enough to go lower than two stars. I reserve that for the likes of Halloween Resurrection and Halloween 5. But... You going to say me for a second there. <laughs> yeah. Well, Nick can do his damage, of course. I'm always the more more optimistic on some of these movies. It doesn't have too much rewatchability for me, which is a key thing I look for in Halloween movies. How many times do I want to watch it? Do I want to watch it every year? This will not be one of the ones that I marathon with the Halloween series. So... And, I, and, and ultimately, I think that Halloween H2O is a better version of this. I feel like... This is not needed because if you want to see Laura deal with PTSD, if you want to see Laura come back years later, I think H2O is a better version of this, but I'm going to still say two stars. I guess for positives, what did I like about the movie? The music? Oh, big shout out to John Carpenter's score also. He had Mm. great music. Music? The way the movie was shot, you know, we were able to see everything that happened. We were able to understand everything that happened. Um... Okay, that's it for the positives. Now for the negatives. This movie is way too funny. I know we have just said multiple times throughout all the episodes, comedy has a place in horror. Horror has a place in horror. But the problem is when you do... (laughs) (laughs) You said horror has a place in horror. Yes. But the problem (laughs) is when you do comedy at death scenes, the best way to do death scene comedies is more a slapstick style which of course for michael myers would not work with fred it works with freddy krueger who can give a funny one-liner and then kill you that's different but now yeah that's what i'm saying it works with freddy it can work with jason but michael's mo is not comedy right and then not only that the dialogue was a lot of it was unneeded most of it is just the Writers trying to be like, well, we need to explain something to make sure the audience understands because the audience is stupid as fuck. They need to understand that Ray has peanut butter on his penis. We, I what I want to know is why do people who, who uh, write horror movies, horror movies are a very simple genre to make. There is no reason why you have to over explain things. 
for an audience who most likely has already figured out everything going on in the first five minutes before you decide to actually go through with what you're planning on doing just to fail because you've already over explained everything no one cares anymore they do dumb it down oh yeah so with all that said and done one and a half stars for me i will never watch this movie again <laughs> i promise you that well damn uh, when i watch when it comes to halloween most of the time i'll watch one two and h2o in that order that's my trilogy and i end it with that you don't watch resurrection to see what happens after h2o <laughs> you sir jump out that window um well no resurrection doesn't exist to me it's not my timeline <laughs> so i will have to say good night and if you like this movie congrats if you didn't like this movie congrats you know, every, you know movie watching subjective i know people who like it i know people who hate it i'm on the latter half i hate this movie well folks that's our thoughts on halloween 2018 next week we have halloween kills which either will be better worse or more infuriating, or maybe be an improvement. We'll see. We're going to find out pretty soon. Well, if y'all hear me, uh, if y'all hear me cursing up a storm, we all know what happened. Well, that's you on every podcast. That means nothing. <laughs> so, folks, until next week, I advise all of you to, instead of watching this movie, go to your local McDonald's, get some Chicken McNuggets, watch the original Halloween, the original Halloween 2, and give Halloween 3 a chance also. Yeah, Halloween 3 is pretty fun, but, you know, by itself, if you want a real good Halloween trilogy, Michael Myers, 1, 2, H2O. And never, ever watch Resurrection. Correct. All right, folks, see you next week. Good night.